Well, good morning. I'm back again. I'm, I'm starting to get in the, the role and the, and the feel of it. So that's good. <laughs> Y'all are very kind. <laughs> Gosh. <clears throat> Anyhow. It is great to have you, uh, you all here. Uh, and uh, in our series, of course, just this whole idea of, um, of the church and how the church works and uh, kind of uh, working through this metaphor of, of, you know, the idea of planting something and cultivating something and harvesting something. And uh, when we think about the church uh, in this way, uh, it, one of the things that hit me this week was, uh, you know, uh, the whole idea or concept of the church is not a new thing for us. But you know, at one point it was, right? There were a group of Christ followers, uh, starting with his disciples, that the church, like what it was, was a new idea to them. And uh, there's a great story that actually has some really potent moments in it in which uh, Jesus is introducing the whole idea of the church and what it'll be. He's uh, asking the disciples uh, about like, who do people say I am? And he's helping them like square up on the truth of who he is and what his mission is all about. And, you know, they say, well, you know, people say you're Elijah, you're a prophet, you're, you know, all these other things. And he says like, who do you say that I am? And then Peter uh, makes this profound statement when he says, you're the Messiah, right? You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, like, you're right. And my father in heaven is one who, um, who made that known to you. And then Jesus says something uh, that follows this up that, that would have been kind of a striking moment to them. And, and he says, it's on this, right? On you, Peter, like these disciples, that I'm going to build my gathering, my church, my Followers. In fact, the, the word church in Greek uh, means uh, like a, a gathering of people, that my gathering, my followers. And then he says, because, right, I've got to go and suffer and die on a cross and you all are going to continue this forward. Now, uh, like we're like, yes, like that was the plan, right? But understand for the disciples, that's not how they would have thought of it. Like what they had in mind is Jesus is just gonna be along for the whole ride here on earth, right? They hadn't thought, you can just see the disciples going, what? Wait a minute. Like, uh, like, and it's this idea that what Jesus is saying is, my church, here's my vision for my church is, is I go and die on the cross and, and like become the savior of the world, right? Um, my church is going to carry forward. They're gonna be an embodiment of my power and of my love and the message that, you know, that will draw people to me. And you can just see the disciples like, like think about that responsibility. Think like the felt risk in that. And then uh, Jesus uh, makes another statement that is like one of these profound statements because you can just see the disciples and they're just like, uh, he says this, he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this, right? Now, even the power of hell cannot stop the church, right? Talk about a statement of unstoppable power, right? Um, if you're a parent, try this out with your kids, you know, like, you know, you will get the homework done. You know, the gates of hell will not prevail again. You know, just, you know, so just a little, little, little thing you can use at home uh, on there. Um, but when he says this, right, he says this because they would have felt all of this, but the whole idea that there is no outside force 
that could hold the church back, and there can't. Yet when you look at the teachings of Jesus, when you look at the teachings of uh, the disciples, uh, the, the writers of the New Testament, you know, the thing that can hold back the church from fully living out that mission is something that can happen on the inside of the church, right? Gates of hell cannot prevail against it, Jesus says. But all those New Testament writers have these concerns, things that we need to understand that could hold back the church from the inside. And, and that's the thing that I wanna look at here this morning because it actually pertains to this whole idea of cultivate and why it is so uh, very, very important. And you know, uh, churches today aren't, you know, it's not just today that we can struggle with this issue. It was churches even in the very first century uh, that could struggle with, with something happening on the inside, that there was a lie that could be believed. And just having that lie as a lens for how you saw the church could be the very thing that would hold it back. Um, and the apostle Paul uh, actually writes to the church at Corinth because there are some of these issues that the church at Corinth is struggling with. Uh, and we're gonna look at that here in a moment, uh, uh, this letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. But to really understand what's going on and why he would say uh, what he's saying, and it, it helps to understand some of the background uh, to this because there's a lot going on in Corinth that sets uh, this up. Uh, beginning with even just where the city of Corinth is located. And I want you to see this. We've got a map of the city of Corinth where it was situated in uh, Greece uh, halfway between mainland Greece and what was known as the Peloponnesus. And do we have that map of Greece up there? If not, I'll use my hands and you can picture it. There we go. So uh, Greece uh, was made up of mainland Greece and then the Peloponnesus. And there was this little strip of land called the Isthmus that connected the two. And uh, Corinth sat right at the bottom, right in the middle of that. And we're gonna zoom it in again. I want you to see where... You can do that. There it is right there. That's Corinth in the little, and yeah, the very first in and out, you probably didn't know that, the very first in and out sat right there in Corinth. Actually, it didn't. It occurred several centuries later in a place called California, I think. Um, but what is actually really significant is when you look at where Corinth sat, notice that there's a main body of water that went into the Mediterranean on the north and a main body of water that went into the Mediterranean from the south. This made Corinth really unique in that it had two ports to the north and the south, which actually set Corinth up to be, uh, have a economic engine with trade and commerce that just for centuries set Corinth up uh, as a major hub uh, within uh, the, the nation, uh, the city nation states uh, that made up Greece. And in fact, because of that, uh, Greece uh, became a little bit of a metropolitan uh, kind of city, one of a few cities in uh, Greece, halfway between Sparta that we know a lot about and Athens that you're probably familiar with. Um, Corinth had this rich history of uh, dynamic leaders. Uh, it had great athletes. In fact, Corinth uh, also developed the arts in a significant way, uh, sculptures and uh, artwork on pottery that became very famous. It even uh, formed its own form of poetry that became very distinct, very popular uh, throughout 
uh, all of Greece. And, and there were all of these greats that, that came out of it, like their, like their own form of artwork and greats, uh, these orators that would come out of uh, Corinth along with a few other city-states. And they just, it was like a very successful city in many, many ways. And it had this rich sense of accomplishment. Even in the church, like uh, we know of one person by the name of Apollos, uh, who was probably a very polished speaker and a very uh, well-trained, very good leader. And, and you think about the culture in Corinth, they're, they're just, there was this significance uh, and this thing where they could look at just how the great achievements that any one individual could have. And they just had this rich history of just of individuals and the drive to be the best. And I say all that, and we talk and we think about Corinth in that way, um, sound familiar to maybe a culture you know a little something about? Well, yeah, like in our Western culture and here in the US, think about how uh, the focus we put on like greatness and what an individual can achieve. Like think about sports, like star athletes in our culture, I mean, get paid millions of dollars to play a game, right? But if they're the best, right, they get, they get the millions, right? We even have a term, we, in our culture, we've invented a term for this called a goat, right? How many of you know what a goat is? You've heard of it, yeah. Greatest of all time, right? There are whole sports shows dedicated to arguing over who is the goat in any, <clears throat> excuse me, any particular sport, right? Who's the goat in basketball or baseball or football or, or whatever it is. And we just, we put so much emphasis on that. Or think about movie stars, singers, or musicians, right? Uh, Adele um, here recently uh, released a couple of uh, singles because she's releasing her album somewhere later here in November. And I was just reading that she set an all-time uh, world record on Spotify for the most downloads of any single song in a single day. 24 million downloads in a single day. And I say that and probably you're going, yeah, somebody will break that soon, right? Because you know, that's our culture, right? Somebody's gonna go after that and do even better uh, at that. We celebrate, right? The beautiful and the talented um, the successful individuals. It just like, it, it, we're just oriented uh, to that. And so was Corinth in this. But with that, right, with that kind of focus, you have to think about this. It creates a kind of lie about how we can think about life, but it's also something that can become a kind of lie or lens of how we see our role in the church. And, and here's, here's the lie, and it's this. I have to be a somebody to do a something to make a difference, right? And you think about sports, you think about the world we're in and just that, that high achievement. And then you think about the church and you realize, you know, we can kind of think about ourselves or think about how we would uh, walk out our role in the church in the same way. That right, I've gotta be a somebody to do a something to make a difference. And I think in some ways, the church in Corinth struggled with a little bit of that belief. Uh, and I say that because of how we see Paul addressing some of the issues uh, in Corinth. And it worked itself out in, in, with 
kind of two different issues or problems in Corinth. The first one is this. It, it was starting to create these uh, unhealthy divisions, right? People were getting behind and, and, and lining up behind who the somebody was, right? Whether it was Apollos, because he was one of the leaders in the church in Corinth, or Paul or Cephas or, or whoever uh, it was. Uh, but that's, that's a sermon for another day and another time. Because uh, there's a second issue that you see that works out that we read about in the letter to Corinth. And it's this, it had a way of diminishing the sense that any, any person within the church could have about the importance of their role or what God could do through them. It just, it, it's just like you look at who you think might be some of the superstars and it had a way of muting what your role could be in this. And what I wanna say is that lie, like that still can play out. And when it begins to mute the role that we think we have within the church, um, it can hold the church back from being that beautiful, incredible embodiment of the power and love and message of Jesus Christ. It just, it, it dulls it in some way. We are not all that we can be when we think of it in that way. Um, so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians, and that's where we're gonna be looking. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter three. Um, Paul breaks down this lie. Uh, he breaks it down and, and then he flips it around and gives us another way to think about that. And that's what I wanna do uh, here this morning. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter three, and I'm gonna start in verse five. And here's how he breaks this down. He says this, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? And I love that he includes himself uh, in this because he's understanding that even at this early date, he's beginning to play this really dominant leadership role and that people would start to see him as a kind of goat. And he's like, uh, like, you know, same way you think of Apollos or me, like, like, what are we, what are we? And he says, look at the rest of the verse, only servants, through whom you can, uh, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. And, and like the like first pass at this, like part of the point of what Paul is saying here is God isn't looking for extraordinary people the way you might think, right? He's not looking for that extraordinary person the way we kind of do in our culture, the way they might've done in Corinth when they think about like, who are the greatest authors, the greatest leaders in this sort of thing, you know? God's not looking for someone within each church, you know, like who's that next great person that I'm gonna work with the way an NFL coach might say, you know, uh, who's gonna be the next, you know, Tom Brady that I wanna recruit onto my team uh, or the way, you know, like judges on like, American Idol or Dancing with the Stars or like, you know, who's the best, who's the greatest that I'm gonna elevate and, and who's like diminishing or kind of falling away. And we're gonna give all of our attention uh, to this or the way a, like a movie producer would look to like, who's, who's the best actor or actress that can play the leading role in my next movie, right? God's not looking at his church and thinking that way, but there's, there's something inherent to our culture that we do think that way, right? That, that happens. And not that that's the end of the world or some terrible thing, but, but it's a lie to think that that's how the church operates or that that's what God's looking for uh, in all of this, right? God's not looking for a goat because he has a lamb, right? We have Jesus Christ who, who is that 
everything, the thing that we focus everything on. And is the church, we're to be the living, breathing expression. We're, we're, the, we're the light of the world, scripture says, right? God doesn't need a goat in the church today because he has the church today, right? We're to be the embodiment of that beautiful thing. So as he breaks it down, then he walks out this other lens. Like here is the thing to understand. And that's what I want you to get today, because it is through this that he kind of calls us into this role that I think is really, really beautiful, that, that fits within this series where we're talking about, like, what does it mean to be a cultivator uh, within the church? So uh, look at verse six as he, he walks this out. Here's what he says. He says, um, I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be, each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And, and what he does through this passage here um, is he actually, uh, uh, three times through this passage, uh, Paul directs us away from what we can do is, is like that single individual and towards what God can do through us in this, in this new way of thinking that we kind of introduced last week, this idea of planting and cultivating and harvesting. So three times Paul like directs us away from like, like needing to be the goat, needing to be the somebody and redirecting us through like understanding that we all have a role that pertains to like what God can do through us. And when you think about your role, I, like think about, understand that you, we each have a role and our roles flow out of the spiritual gifts that we have. Our roles flow out of the skills that God has us. Our roles uh, uh, flow out of how God wired us in our personalities, but also our experiences, um, uh, the opportunities that we have, wherever he may have placed us. Like we all have a role to take who we are and what we have, and then to do something with that role. And what I wanna do is I wanna walk through these three things that Paul walks through in this one passage that we just looked at. And with each of them, I wanna challenge us. I wanna be challenged by this. I want you to be challenged by this, to dive into this role that we have, to use who he has made us, what he's put before us, and to trust in that, and to do something different in this. So let's look at these uh, three things uh, here, uh, starting with verse six, and where I'm just gonna go back through that passage that we just read and, and break it out in these three things. So verse six, look at what he says. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. God has been making it grow. And here's, here's the first point. Dive into your role and trust God for what he will do. Every one of these, there is something to have faith in and it starts with God. Dive into your role and trust God for what he will do. You know, um, all of these roles that we have, whatever we're doing, right? It's, it's not an end unto itself. Part of the role of what we do, if, if we're seeking to do something, and I love how he ends this passage where he talks about every one of us, it's like we're a field, we're like a building. It's like we're all, we've all been planted in this field and whatever our role is in this place where he has planted us, like 
There's also something to cultivate. There's a role that we have in this, but it is God who is making it grow. There's something that he is doing in all of this. Um, we just get to be like a part of this and used by this. I think about this like uh, with Christmas. So, right, Christmas is, is coming up. And we as a church, like there is so much we have already planted into this, like resources and time and, and like all of these things that have already been invested in this. And we do this every year. But you know, as this moves forward, right? And we already have volunteers that are beginning to do this and we're gonna get more volunteers in this, right? Everything from the things that are gonna happen on the platform, working on songs and, and performances and all the things that are happening, but also all of the things that are gonna be going on uh, outside, creating this entire environment. And it's like all of us have this role of what we're gonna be doing. It's everything from singing a song uh, to building things, to serving hot chocolate, to greeting people, right? There's all of these things, all of these roles. Um, but what strikes me in this is every year this happens. Every year I hear stories of people that were invited, invited to come and, and participate in, in Christmas. And many of them uh, were skeptics. Many of them felt like they were far from God. Many of them were struggling in some way to connect. And there was something that, and I hear about this for like months following Christmas, right? They show up here. And it's the stories of how something happened at Christmas. Something, they were invited by somebody. And as they showed up, like they, like there was, uh, oftentimes they talk, they'll, they'll use this phrase. I felt like I came home, right? And my thought is like, that was God at work in their life. God was using some, someone uh, that invited them. God was using someone that greeted them. Someone treated them a certain way. There was something that happened in the environment or on the platform or a part of the message or a conversation that followed that up. And it's like, and those were all special, right? But God was in that, right? And you may be going, you know, like, all I did was serve hot chocolate last time. You know, I'm not doing it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, in some way, God was using what you were doing in a beautiful way, right? And it becomes this kind of investment. But when we dive into our role, we have to understand that God is constantly doing something beyond the simple implications of the skills or abilities or effort that we're putting into it. There is a spiritual side to this of what God is orchestrating and doing in all of this. So when you think about your role, Trust God for what he can do and you bring what you can bring. And I want you to think about this in two ways. Two questions that you can think about your role in. One is uh, the what. What are your gifts? What are your passions? What are your skills? What are your experiences, right? Even our experiences bring something that God can use in this. Identify those. Think about what is it that you bring if you're planted in this field that you bring in your role and get to help cultivate within your church, right? The second one is who? Who is it that God is intersecting in your life where your role is one of bringing something into that relationship or in that person's life? Maybe you're one of the inviters right? Maybe you're, so you've, there's someone in your life and God has you intersected with that person in a unique way and you get to be the one to invite them to something like Christmas or to a Sunday. 
Maybe you're one of the ones uh, that is like, you know, you're, you're just sitting next to them at the Christmas service and you turn around and greet them and, you know, treat them in some way that is welcoming and warm. And it's easy to go, well, you know, that's no big deal. But can I tell you, when I hear the stories of someone who talks about feeling skeptical of church and how Christians are this and Christians are that, and then they look at me and they go, and when I came here, I felt like you wanted me. I felt like the people here had something authentic. You know, I know that didn't come because of a speaker or a preacher. It came because of you. It came because of who they were rubbing shoulders with caused them to experience that. And God was using you in that way. So dive into your role and trust that whatever you're doing, God can use it in a beautiful way. Second thing, second thing, look at verse seven. Look at what he says. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now, when you first read that uh, verse, it's just like, you know, the one who plants or the one who waters, right? These are the roles, right? Planting, uh, you know, cultivating. It's just like, and they're nothing, right? And at first we're like, well, that just sounds like a little bit of an insult or something. Or, you know, what's going on there? Don't think of this in this moment, like God is in some way diminishing the value of your personhood, right? That's Paul's, like, that's, that's not the problem. Think of Paul, he's writing this to a church that is in, right, within a culture where they, uh, you know, worship like the individual success of people. And, and, and we know this, right? There is something, right? There is something to that lie that you've got to be a somebody to do something to make a difference that uh, uh, creates great achievement, right? There's a good side to that to a degree, right? Great achievement, but we've all experienced this too, living in this culture. It comes with the curse of being a weight. Because in those moments, right, where, where you don't measure up the way you think you ought to, where you're not number one, right? You've experienced the weight of that at school or at work or with friends. And there's a kind of weight that comes with this. See, I think what Paul is doing in this moment when he writes this, knowing he's writing it to a church where there are people carrying that weight, this actually becomes a gift. It's a gift because what he's, he's taking the weight off of saying you don't have to be a somebody to be a part of advancing the beautiful thing of Jesus Christ through his church in this. And here's the point. Dive into your role and trust God that you are everything you need to be. You don't need to be a somebody by the world's standards. You don't have to be a goat. That's not what God's looking for. Who you are right now, that's all you need to be, right? That's, that's enough in all of this. Um, and, and it's kind of funny. We even have examples of, of this as it plays out, even in our own culture, right? We'll probably see an example of this this afternoon, right? If you're watching a football game, there's a strange thing that happens with football games. We, and we all understand this if we watch football. Um, there's a strange thing that'll happen, right? Get near the end of the football game, and it's like either a tie game or maybe one team is up by one or two points. And then the team that's down, right? They get the ball close and it's like seconds left in the game. And what do they do? They call out the kicker, right? The kicker comes out and then kicks a field goal at the end of the game. We've all 
all seen this, right? And then there's this strange thing, this interesting thing. The commentator always goes, right, right? And, you know, the kicker wins the game. The kicker kicks the winning field goal, the win the game, and the kicker celebrated like, like, like he did everything. And you're just like, the kicker, like, won the game? I mean, we know what he means, but maybe the kickers played all of five or six seconds, right? Maybe there was, you know, it, you know, the beginning of the game, he went out for two seconds and kicked the ball and then ran off. And hopefully he didn't have to tackle anybody, right? He probably didn't even break a sweat, right? The kicker goes home from some games and it's just like, I don't even know if I need to wash my jersey before next week, right? But you know, he won the game, like he was out there the entire, no, no, but we all understand. But you know what? No one expects the kicker to do anything else, do we, right? No, because he'd get hurt because most kickers are like my size, you know? <laughs> we don't want you getting tackled, right? You don't even need to touch the ball with your hands. Just one of your feet is enough, right? That's all. But that's all he needs to be, isn't it? Right? We understand that, right? And so there's this notion, right, that, that sometimes like we can get caught up in this, man, if, if I'm not, I've got to be somebody, right, to do something to make a difference. And part of what Paul's getting at is like, if you understand all that God is doing in this, you're enough. You don't get, you're nothing. But that's the point. You don't have to carry the weight of that because the way you are right now, trust that. That is enough and God will use you. I got a great example. I had a great moment where God used me kind of in this way. I was, years ago, um, I was out uh, with my dad and my daughter and we were quadding because we're the adventurous ones in the family. We're out uh, quadding in the Catalina Mountains on the backside way out there, spent the whole eight day out there. Uh, the sun's starting to go down. And we're like, it's time to head back. And we're way out there. And as we start to head back, we come around a corner and all of a sudden these two hikers, a, a young guy and gal jump out and they're like, oh, just like, and they're like almost stumbling. And they're just like waving us down. We stop and they're like, we're so lost. And we're just, oh, we haven't seen anybody all day long, right? And they, I mean, you could tell like the relief on their faces and they were about ready to fall down in that moment. Um, how many of you know where the pepper sauce caves are in the back of uh, Mount Lemon? Okay, a bunch of you know where that is. So they got up early that morning and we're gonna go explore the caves at pepper sauce, okay? Um, and if you've ever been there, the caves are only like a hundred yards, you know, from the little bridge that you park on either side of to walk to the caves. Early in the morning, they parked there accidentally walked by the caves and spent the next seven or eight hours hiking up that canyon and over ridge, over after ridge until they were way back up in the middle of nowhere. Completely ran out of all food, had ran out of water hours earlier, okay? Completely lost. And we're like, do you need a ride? And they're on the quads. Yes, I've never had anyone. I was just like, yes, need some water? Yes, I mean, they're just, and they were so grateful. We took them down there and uh, I am talking with them and um, uh, I knew exactly where they parked and we were like a couple miles away from there. And I said, so like while my dad and my daughter like load up the quads on the trailer, you all hop in my truck and I'll drive you around over there. Well, you know, somehow we got on a spiritual conversation and I invited them to come to church. And you know what's amazing? When you're lost and starving and run out of water, you're so open to any suggestion by the person 
who found you and gave you water and rescued you. I was like, you know, you, like, like you would have thought I was Billy Graham, right? I was just like, you know, they were like, yes, I'll come to church with you. They didn't even know I was the pastor of the church. Right? I was just like, you know, you should come to my church, right? And guess what? I think that was on a Friday, like two days later on Sunday, they were at church and they were like, hey, you, you know, they had a little confusion there. But like in that moment, there was nothing special about what I did. I was not amazing at all, right? All I had to do was just sort of suggest, you wanna go to my church? And it's just like, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And it easy, to, right? It'd be really easy to say, well, that was a total accident, you know, lucky you. But you know, there's a part of it where I just think, you know, maybe God was behind that. Maybe God saw what was happening and just say, you know, I'm gonna have Glenn and Wayne and Coley just swing by there. And you know, that'll be the ticket. They'll be, they'll be coming to church that very next Sunday, right? Just, you're enough, right? There's moments, just like dive in and trust that like, you know, whatever you bring in your role, whatever your experience, whatever the opportunity, whatever your gifts, like just dive into your role to say like, what is it that I can cultivate? How can I, well, like, what can I do in this moment? And trust that you're enough in that moment, right? Because, right, and here's the point, God's not looking to do the extraordinary, or excuse me, God's not looking for extraordinary people to do what he needs done. God is looking to do the extraordinary through the people he has in his church. And he can do that. And you are more than enough for what you need. Now, uh, last thing, last thing here. Look at, uh, look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Here's what he says. He says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we, catch this, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Um, I love this. He, you know, he, like he, it's not just what God does through all of us as individuals. It's that we are co-workers in this. It is the community and the dynamic of this. I love how he even talks about, you know, he takes Apollos, you know, one of the ones that had a whole group of followers separate from the, his group of followers. He said, no, 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 you didn't understand. Apollos and I, we're working together in this. We are co-workers in this. And there might be a moment where he's planting. There might be a moment where I'm planting. There might be a moment where he's doing some watering. There might be a moment where I'm doing some cultivating. And this is the beauty of how God wants his church uh, to work uh, in this. And, you know, and the reality is we understand this. Again, in our culture, even in a culture that rewards the goat, right? The greatest of all time player in any sport. And you know, you think about the goats in most of uh, those sports. Think, you know, um, uh, uh, think about Tom Brady, right? Um, if he took the field all by himself, he's not gonna win any games, right? <laughs> Everyone understands that there are a team of people around him that he's absolutely, completely dependent on. And it is how they work together that matters. It is even more so in the church. This is how God loves to work and operate. There is this thing where God will use your role in tandem with my role and someone else's role. I remember uh, there was a moment where I kind of walked through the gospel and just talked about like what it meant to follow Christ and how to do that. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I've heard that talk about it. I'd love to, you know, I'm, I'm interested in wanting to know something more about it. I wanna encourage you, go over to the prayer place right after the service and just ask your questions about that. And we have people that would love to walk you through 
what that would mean and if you'd like to experience that. Um, but uh, there, was, uh, there was a woman uh, who I had the pleasure of getting to be a part of actually leading her into becoming a follower of Christ. Um, talked with her the very next week and there was this thing that she was struggling with. She's like, like, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but just struggling over, is Christ enough for some of these just profound and difficult things that she was struggling with in her life. And I talked her through it and it seemed like she was kind of in a good place with it. And then we leave and then next week, it was just like, none of it stuck. Like, and I try and talk about it. And it's just like, went on for uh, weeks, went on for a while. And I just like, and it's just like everything I was trying to do to like help her in that next step in her spiritual journey, just, like it just wasn't happening. And like, you know, and I, I did my best in it. Um, and uh, in fact, it was right back here after one of the services where we used to, what we do over here at the end of the service, uh, we did in the back over there. And as I was talking with her, one of, the, uh, one of our guest service volunteers invited her to participate uh, in one of our adult classes on Sunday mornings, a, a woman's uh, group. And so she went to that and uh, kind of became a part of it. I didn't hear from her much. And then, then uh, maybe a few months later, we got to see her again and talking about her. And she walked up and I'm thinking, oh, okay, God, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna figure out a way to help her, you know, get to, the, but her count, everything about her was just different. And she like, she was like, I get this. And like, and just talked about kind of, you know, cresting this hill uh, with her faith in Christ that was, was more than just, I know I'm saved someday but like I'm living out, like Christ is carrying me through what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. And as she started telling me part of the story, like I got what happened. Um, as a part of that women's class, uh, there, is, uh, there is a woman by the name of Doris Wansley, who is just this wonderful, wonderful woman. She's made, uh, meant a world to me. She is almost one of the founding members of our church. She's been a part of this church going all the way back to the early 1960s. And Doris has, over time, has just become one of these uh, ladies that just in her spiritual walk and her faith, just really unique and made such an impact in this woman's uh, life. And knowing Doris, I could picture uh, what uh, this one lady shared with me. She said, you know, she said, I started talking with Doris and Doris is helping out. And then one day, Doris, and then she describes what happened. She said, Doris put her hands on my head, which I could just picture. She said, she put her hands on my head and the lady, she's telling me, she's like, tears start coming down her face. Doris put her hands on my head and said, my dear child, Jesus has got you. And she said, in that moment, I knew Jesus had me. And it made this change. And there's part of me, you know, that could go, well, you know, I said something very similar and I used Bible verses. Like what's, you know? But here's, right, here's the point, right? And you've probably had experiences like that, you know? I, right? But here's the point. Like God was using me and God was using Doris and God was using a volunteer with guest services. God was using other ladies in that class. And I bet there are people that I don't even know about that were praying for her. Like God, like all of this, just this beautiful thing is all these things were coming through this thing. And there was something that Doris could do out of her role, right? 
as a woman who has been through so much and just has so much wisdom from her experiences and could just say those words and God could use them to impact her in a way that I couldn't. But I got to have my role and I enjoyed my role and I enjoyed getting to partner with Doris and others. Like this is the beauty of the church when it comes together in this way. And you know, um, the stories like this, they just happen constantly. It's very rare that there is a story of major impact within our church, probably most churches, where it really comes down to just one single person's great effort. I think if we were to look at any story, what you see again and again is how God is using person after person, and they're just diving into their role, using what they use and trusting God, trusting that they're enough, and trusting others within their church. And when that happens, friends, right, um, we, we are like a field filled with people who are planted there. It's like Doris was just like, she's just there. She's just showing up to her class, like with a watering can, sees this woman, just like, I, you know, I've got water that I could pour and nurture this, uh, this young woman that maybe will do something in this. That's all. And when that happens, right, we become, we become the embodiment. We become the light of Jesus's power and grace and love. And when that happens, friends, what can prevail against that? See, why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this in prayer here. And let me just uh, say, if you are a guest here this morning, what a delight, what a delight. Uh, that you're here. And I would uh, love to just shake your hand, welcome you here this morning. I'm gonna be right over there next to that table and uh, we just invite you to uh, come by and, and say hi. Uh, let me pray, we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and how he empowers us as his church to be the light of this world. And may you shine through us as a community of believers, all trusting you and one another and what you have made us to be, that we can be all you created us to be. And we pray this in your son's name, amen. Have a great Sunday and see you next week.